to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 208, recorded July 2nd, 2015. So today we just got one massive story to cover, and that is Star Trek Next Generation Forgiveness. Yeah, it is pretty big. It's, it's, it's a graphic novel. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was released both as a hardcover and then eventually as a paperback. Um, I think the uh, the paperback might have had the DC imprint, but the the hardcover definitely had the Wildstorm imprint. Hmm. Cool. It's uh, it's a good story. I, I like it. Um, and it investigates an interesting the genesis of an, a very fundamental technology in the Star Trek universe. Right. Yes, and it gave some interesting viewpoints on how people might see this new technology. Exactly. And the important part that people are not always up for change. Change is scary, Ken. It is change. Change is scary. It is scary. Change is scary. And uh, and I kind of like what they do here in the fact that well, you'll see when we go into it, but um, you think this guy's the inventor of the transporter, but maybe not. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. All right. So it's a good long one. So shall we just jump into it? Let's do. Excellent. So the published date for this one is 2001. Creative team is writer David Brin. Painted by Scott Hampton, letterer Tracy Muncie, and comic crafts Albert DeChesney. Design is by Alex Sinclair. Editor is Jeff Marriott. And I'll be doing the first half, pages 4 through 24. The cover presents Picard and Dr. Crusher's heads in the upper left quadrant and Data's head in the lower right quadrant. A white guy in a contemporary sort of looking suit and Ty is in the middle, looking sort of like he is beaming into the cover. The Enterprise E makes up the background. The bottom shows what appears to be a planet's hilly surface on fire, with three humans fighting against what looks like zombies or some nasty-looking aliens. It all started long ago. Three centuries plus change. Humanity was busy then, making decisions. It's high noon, and on a television is Pascal Light. He has a show. The show is dedicated to stopping a man named Colin Blakely from inventing the transporter. Light says the invention transports living things by scanning them in one location and creating a copy of them in another location. The process destroys the original and leaves a soulless copy in its place. How can we let this murder go on? The dastardly villain in question is watching the broadcast with amusement and concern. 
He is working with complex machinery, while a chimpanzee begs for Colin Blakely's attention. The chimpanzee's name is Harry, and he's successfully transported from one location to another with no apparent side effects. If the chimpanzee had a soul prior to the experiment, his losing it has not diminished his affection for his human owner. Blakely tells Harry he might as well get over with it. GTC plans to shut him down, so it's either them or the fanatics that will close his window of opportunity. Blakely sets a one-minute timer on his complex machine, and a shadowy figure enters behind him and clobbers him with a metal pipe. The stranger moves to the transporter's rough scanner pad when when Blakely comes up from behind and knocks him forward. The two are above the pad when the timer hits zero and the transportation sequence initiates. Harry the monkey leaps out of the noisy building through a window, just as it blows up real good. Cut to 300 years in the future, more or less. Picard and Data in Roman costumes emerge from a burning holodeck, just in time to receive a call from Geordi. He is in a transporter room dealing with a long-range transporter signal. He cannot find its source, but says it is deteriorating. He tells Picard he can bring it aboard, despite its primitive characteristics. Picard instructs Geordi to attempt to bring it aboard and raise a biofilter force field around the transporter pad as a precaution. He calls for Dr. Crusher and Lieutenant Dafoof to join them just in case. Colin Blakely, complete with a walking cane, materializes on the pad. He promptly collapses at the sight of where he is and the pole standing in front of him. Picard's log explains that they are en route to a meeting with the Palmali race, who after 50 years have appealed for release from their punishment of quarantine. Considering the biological crime they committed two generations ago, they are unlikely to be paroled. However, they are bringing a Federation envoy to hear their request. The ambassador is unlikely to agree to end the quarantine given how badly the war with the Dominion is going. Picard thinks of his comrades fighting and dying in the struggle against the Dominion and their legion of Jem'Hadar soldiers. At times, Picard questions the wisdom of their assignment away from the front lines to do all the other important work required to hold together the Alpha Quadrant while the majority of the fleet is occupied. Picard moves on to think about their unlikely guests, a human. Picard moves on to think about their unlikely guest, a human that traveled for who knows how long as an encoded stream of energy. Dr. Crusher reports he is relatively healthy, but unconscious due to being in shock. Microflora in his stomach and the presence of fillings in his teeth make it likely he is from Earth approximately 200 years ago. Data explains what fillings are. Jordy explains him being from Earth makes sense, given the direction the encoded stream was heading in. Given the information, Data runs a few calculations in his head and confirms his point of origin was Earth in the year 2052. Since transporter technology first came into use much later in the 21st century, Data starts his research into early researchers in the field of transportation. 
Their guest could be one of them. In the meantime, Picard, Riker, and Troy meet Ambassador Kulan in a conference room. The ambassador reports the Federation policy has not changed. The sanctions will stay in full effect. Riker points out the disease they released was released on accident. The ambassador lists the tens of millions that died in the plague and the millions more in the aftermath. She points out the Endorians that were particularly hard hit by it. With the war going on, she does not see why she should use her authority to ease the sanctions one little bit. She moves on and leaves the room. Jordy reports to Picard that if they had not intercepted the transporter beam, it would have plowed into the Palmali sun. Data chimes in, saying our guests would be dead in less than a week. Meanwhile in sickbay, Dr. Crusher is speaking to Colin, who is sitting up in bed but remembering little. He recalls his name, but not what his occupation was. As Crusher brings his clothes and personal effects to him, more of his memory comes back to him. Colin remembers the photo of a woman and a child as his wife, Maria, and his son, Stevie. He suddenly knows they are dead, but does not know how he knows. He is very upset, so the doc sedates him. Picard enters and witnesses the tail end of that. Beverly explains he is sort of in a temporal loop of his mind's own invention. He has remembered, mourned over his... He has remembered mourned over his family's death three times. Each time he wakes up, he has a blank slate, only to remember it all over again. Picard is called to the bridge. They are approaching the barrier. The Enterprise passes through a layer of sentinel drones, put in place more than a century ago to keep the Palmali confined to their solar system. Picard again questions the morality of keeping the current generation of Palmali imprisoned for the sins of their fathers. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher hatches a plan to use therapy she has observed as successful at Starfleet Medical. They will use the holodeck to recreate Colin's world on Earth. They will dress for the time period and interact with him in what appears to be his own time. The delicate neural feedback loop they set up will hopefully allow him to relive the events that led to his beaming, being beamed into space. Troy points out that once started, they must see the program through to the end. Any interruption could lead to death. Beverly gets cold feet about the risks of doing it, but Colin wants them to try it. They proceed. Data takes part. On the bridge, the ambassador has joined them as they make their way in through the Palmali solar system. Until they detect a large, a larger than expected welcoming committee. Lieutenant Dafouf assesses the huge number of ships coming at them at high speed directly out from in front of their sun as more like a Klingon attack fleet than a diplomatic welcoming party. Meanwhile, in sickbay, the experiment to save Colin Blakely's sanity is underway. Colin is back in the past in his compound with people from his own past. George, his business partner, speaks to him first. We find out it is the death of Colin's wife and son in a ground transportation accident that drives Colin to create the transporter. A lawyer from the global 
Transportation Consortium, who calls Collins' press conference announcing his successful transporter experiment amounts to a declaration of war on the consortium. Pascal Late enters the room with his rantings about transporter technology being tantamount to murder. Light turns out to be a holographic projection, but that does not decrease his obnoxiousness. With the fire of a true believer, Light makes his main point. Even if Collins' famous equations are correct, and a perfect atom-by-atom duplicate of people can be made, people are made out of more than just atoms. They have a human soul that is destroyed with with the original body. George finds the hollow projector that a confederate of light must have planted in Collins' inner sanctum. George deactivates it in time for light's last word to be heard. Murderer! The GTC lawyer says she does not agree with light, but does offer Colin a buyout. Colin tells her to get out! He orders his lab assistant, Johnson, to show her the exit. Colin turns and for the first time sees Data and Dr. Crusher. George introduces them as a nurse and a bodyguard. Colin does not accept it at first, but quickly comes to accept them. Meanwhile, the Enterprise watches the approaching Palmali Armada with worry. Scans of the system indicate great technical strides have been made in the last 50 years. They have gone quite beyond their impressive strengths in biological sciences to create mighty physical structures. As the potential threat the Palmali represent draws upon them, Picard wonders aloud whether their technical advances and the approaching armada is motivated by hatred rather than desperation, as the ambassador suggests. Meanwhile in the holodeck, Dr. Crusher and Data continue in their attempts to save Dr. Blackney's by reliving the past. They are driving to Colin's lab when they see a crowd of protesters in front of the building. Colin puts the blame for all of this on GTC. They will stop at nothing to stop him. Accidents have been happening since their successful transportation of a chicken. That is when Colin turned down GTC's first buyout offer. Not long after his wife talked him into taking a long break by going on a family vacation on a pleasure zeppelin. End of the first half. So this Dr. Light, kind of an extremist, don't you think? I think so. And he looks a little like Colonel Sanders. He does look like Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Where's the chicken, Light? Where's the chicken? (laughs) I wonder if they did that on purpose. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they... Yeah. I... I, I definitely don't think it's random chance that he's in the white outfit and the uh, you know white hair and stuff. Right. Do you think it's a, a slight on Southerners, maybe? Uh, could be. It definitely could be interpreted that way. If so, that's not cool. No. No. But, I don't know. That is possible, my friend. Although, you know, some fried chicken is mighty good, mighty. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways. So, but you know what? I I liked that they addressed the what happens to you when you transport. uh, Because we've had this conversation. uh, Yep. We've all seen um, 
The Prestige. Which, <laughs> yes. Which really fits into what your theory is on how transporters work. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, what, what he's talking about here when he's calling him a murderer because just because you recreate your body somewhere else, that doesn't mean it was you. Your 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 physical body is destroyed in some way. Yes. I liked it. I thought that was very interesting. I'm glad uh, they addressed it. Yeah, and also it, it brings up all kinds of questions, doesn't it? I mean, you're willing to transport yourself to another place, you're willing to die, basically. At least if your that, original that's form. that's how it works. Well, that's what... Well... I think they're saying that's how it works. Nope. That's how they... <laughs> that's how they think. Uh, nothing in this book says he's wrong about how it works. Yeah, there's a throwaway line towards the end that that, that implies that he's wrong. We'll talk about uh, it later. We'll talk about it later. Okay. When we get to the end, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. Because to me, it sounds like a cop-out to me. Mm, okay. It sounds like a cop-out. But anyways, I, I liked this, uh, the whole transporters new and, and where did it come from. Mm -hmm. uh, I like I kind of like this approach better than what they did on Enterprise, because on mm -hmm. Enterprise they also acted like transporters was somewhat new for mm -hmm. humans. Um, yeah. But no one ever addressed that you're creating a copy on the planet and your real your body that was on the ship is just you know recycled or disintegrated in some way well yeah because they don't have to because it's obvious <laughs> no they beam you down dude that's why it's called <laughs> beaming. okay fine whatever so we've we've had this discussion in the past um right. but one thing i liked about the enterprise uh tv series in the beginning is they didn't. They didn't use the transport unless they had to. Right. So they were perfectly fine taking the slow route in the pods. Yeah. So, and I think that's very logical because, hey, this is this is a scary new thing. I mean, this transporter thing. What happens if something goes wrong? I mean, you know, everybody says it's safe, and and besides, your original self is destroyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. No, so. agreed. Agreed. Anyway, it's a scary thing, so it takes people to get used to this kind of thing. And really, think about the whole transportation system. I mean, this this transportation consortium is doing a lot of, at least they're they're alluding to very uh, questionable things that they may or may not have been doing to stop it. I mean, think about what happened. What would happen if we had? Um, Ten times more efficient solar cells available, and we could put them all on our roof. And great storage technology that we'd have all we need during the day, and be able to charge it up overnight. And basically, we wouldn't need the electric company anymore. Um, and we could charge up our cars, so we wouldn't need uh, the oil companies anymore, right. uh, or at least significantly less. What kind of disruption would that make? And then this is the same kind of thing. Incredibly disrupt, disruptive technology to the transportation industry. Yes. So that's that's something to be considered. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would hope that there's not a Colonel Sanders out there really <laughs> hindering uh, those kind of advancements, but you never know. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, there, there's always that, uh, you know, that uh, paranoid thing like, oh, look at all these things that we actually were created, but were suppressed by the machine, the corporate machine or whatever, the government, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway. So anyways, um, yeah, my, my only complaint uh, so far in the first half is I wish there was a, 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 a Dr. Brundle joke in there somewhere. Brundle being the uh, main character on the fly. Oh! <laughs> I, I didn't get your uh, your reference at first. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely what they're doing... I mean, they, they mentioned in the book two different uh, locations. Right. Uh, that So you needed a, a receiver... Um, station right um, with this technology um, so it that very much is what they did in the fly yeah which makes more sense uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that if you were going to beam something you would need a, a receiving unit especially if, especially if you're somehow transmitting the exact same molecules from point A to point B right as opposed to just reconstituting it using material that's on the planet right I mean it's and, and you know it, it almost might be fine so you come around a planet and you've got to shoot down a probe and that probe has a transporter in it and then that's what people get out of when they you know when they get on the planet it's like no it's not as handy when you need to get on a Borg hive ship or something but <laughs> right. you know uh, it just makes more sense it does make more sense mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish they would have done that on Enterprise yeah that would have been kind of cool because then well, if you it, got into a yeah. pickle, you would still have to make your way to the uh, exactly to the pod as opposed to right. just standing there and getting beamed away. That, that's actually a cool idea. Yeah, it's more like uh, Stargate and stuff. So, you know, you you can you can planet hop, but you got to go from one Stargate to another Stargate, right? And get back to it if you're going to escape. So, right. Yep. You keep bringing up Stargate, so I'm gonna have to get around to watching those. One you day. are. I think that's good uh, TV sci-fi, personally. But and so the new show uh, by them, Dark Matter, by the guys Melosi and I forgot the other guy's name, Cooper or something. Um, so the guys that did the Stargate TV show, not the movie, of course, but the TV show, um, they're now doing a, a TV series on sci-fi called Dark Matter. Or yeah, Dark Matter, and I've only seen the first two episodes. It's pretty good, right? Pretty good, good. Yeah. All right, cool. Back to Star Trek. Um. So, do you uh, do you buy that that his pattern would have been out in the cosmos for all these years, and uh, they just happened to catch him right before he was gonna make his way to the sun? And just happens to be heading towards the Palami Sun, which they just happen to be going to. Exactly. Um, Yeah, it's a little far-fetched. A lot far-fetched, actually. Yeah, um, I did not like that part. Yeah, but either you couldn't have this story without making that leap. I'm okay with it just being on, you know, they just happened to cross the stream. I mean, that's fine with me that they just picked it up randomly mm-hmm. it's the the line where they say oh good thing we caught him because if we would have been a day or two late he would have gone into the sun mm-hmm. that's the part that i had a problem with because mm-hmm. how many suns has he passed since well yeah he got but being... space 
Yeah, but space is a big place. There's a lot of empty space between uh, stars and stuff. I'm not saying that he couldn't have missed all the stars. I'm just saying, why does it have to be this this star was the one I, out of all these years that I he was, agree. Going, he was I aiming agree. right towards? And it just happened to be one. The Enterprise was passing by. <laughs> right. And and how did Jordy find it? That's another thing that interests me. Was he just like, you know, using the scanners, you know, looking around for stuff? Oh, look, a stray transporter build signal. You know, no, just... you know what it was? Is They, they still have an antenna, you yeah. know, old rabbit ears antenna, and he's watching, you know, reruns of I Love Lucy because uh-huh. they just now finally got out there. Or maybe Twilight Zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or maybe Star Ooh. Trek. Oh, and uh, and he got bad reception, and so he uh-huh. checked the 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 rabbit ears and said, "Hey, what? Is, oh, it's a transporter signal." Exactly. Ah, exactly. that's what it is. All right, all right. So, did they give an exact year <clears throat> on this on this bad boy uh, as to where uh, Colin came from? Well, Data did. I mean, he said ex- exactly which year he left. In in fact, <sighs> can't remember. So it yeah, was so after he calculated the... that. <clears throat> After the the Noonian, uh, oh, I don't know. eugenic war, and <laughs> after the events of Star Trek: First Contact, so after World War Three and the Borg invasion, ah, uh, I don't know. But they did. I, I the only thing I can tell you is what Data calculated the uh, uh, calculated when he left. That's all I can tell you. I don't know yeah. the rest. Just saying. Uh, I know. There's a lot of history. Uh, right. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out where this where fit in. This fits in. I mean, uh, eventually, after the events in First Contact, humans got their act back together. And we ended up, you know, eventually getting to the point where we were in Enterprise. Yeah. But uh, well, so I'm assuming okay, it's so somewhere in between those two events. 2052. 2052. Is when he supposedly left Earth uh, in the transporter beam. And being as true Trekkie, I should know that first contact uh, happened in what year? <laughs> I don't know. You're looking it up, though. We'll find out. Yeah. Well. Okay, um, so get... they're at they're at 2063. Oh. So what year did you say it was? Uh, 2052. So within 11 years, I guess we have World War III and everything takes a step back. Okay, I'll buy that. Well, I mean, they talked about the idea that uh, like 50 years before transporters came into use, this guy was inventing it for the first time. And if there was really World War III in between, I guess that kind of – I guess that could explain it. Yeah, okay. All right, I approve of the time. (laughs) <laughs> Donovan's seal of approval. Good, good. Okay, so um, let me just say that the whole story about the Palmali, or Palami, sorry, keep getting that wrong. Um, I think that was really an interesting storyline. Now, when they first were saying, oh, they were quarantined because of a, mis- a mistake they did, uh, it was like, oh, wow, well, yeah, this seems like a stretch. You would you would quarantine an entire solar system. It's just, ah, come on. And then they start going into the millions that died, millions and millions. And they showed some kind of horrifying-looking uh, picked scenes, including some weird-looking uh, weird Andorian guy. So um, I think that's very interesting because, you know, you're, no capital punishment in the future. 
everything is like wonderful, Earth is, uh, you know, paradise, whatever. Yet the Federation felt compelled to imprison uh, a people within their own solar system for a hundred years. That's that's kind of extreme. I, I never, yeah. Right. I mean, the Klingons yeah. go out and kill people every day and start wars, and they never did something that drastic. Well, These guys yeah, just I mean, accidentally brought over smallpox or whatever, and we're going to quarantine them forever. Yeah. I know that it wasn't smallpox. It was a, a biologically created something, but right. uh, but still, I mean, I don't. they said they didn't do it on purpose. Exactly, and that was Riker's point. Right, but but if you if you have some members of the Federation that are so hurt, have lost so many of their people by that action, then just to maintain the Federation, you know, the Union, the State of the Union, then do you need to do something like this? Not that you may not want to, but because you need to do it for the uh, the good of the overall Federation. I don't know. I think it just has a lot of moral question marks that it brings up. Right. Yeah, I, I did like that storyline. I just wish yeah. it they would have dealt with it more. Expeditiously? It, no, I'm just saying it's just in the background, and it never oh, really – it really uh, – to me, you know, I don't want to give away the second half of the book, but to me, I never got a satisfied resolution or even a satisfied story when you take just that aspect out. I don't think you have a good fleshed out story. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just wish they had more. I wish there was more to it than just oh. this one flashback and then the ultimate resolution to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they got two parallel storylines going in here. Nothing to do with each other on the surface. So, on the surface. Um, although, we'll find out at the end. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I I thought it was good. I mean, I because I think they're two good meaty stories, and I think they did spend time on both stories. But um, yeah, it would have been good to see more. I mean, the, this whole Palomali thing could be something that could stand on its own. But man, this is a big book, right? Oh well. Right. So, what'd you think of the artwork? Um, I thought it was fine. It's it's the paint by numbers, but it's 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 a fine job. Lots of painting going on. Right. Yeah, I don't think I like this one as much as some of the other uh, painted comics that we've read. Right. Uh, to so me, like City the, at the Edge the, of Forever? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's... As good. This, I don't think it's as good, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of times the people here did not look quite right. Or they just didn't look like they... Like they're... Like they didn't really belong in that picture. Yeah. Kind of like it was a cut and paste job. Oh. I don't know. Well, I, and something I notice is that when you take a look at the characters, uh, the characters we all know and love, Picard's face, Geordi's face, uh, Data's hot and cold, but um, there tends to be a lot more detail in their faces than Colin's face, for example, because he's a guy you don't know. Right. So I think they just go, they spend a little less time being accurate with him. Well, because well, accurate. I shouldn't say accurate. Detailed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what about what about pig face guy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he... L- Lieutenant 
da fuff, da foof, da I couldn't tell if he was a different species or he was just some poor guy with a giant snoz. Ah, I think he's a, I think he's an alien. I sure hope he's an alien. <laughs> I mean, look at him. He's got, he's got this huge pig nose. Right. Kind of looks like the Ugnots from uh, Empire Strikes Back. Ugnots. <laughs> Remember the Ugnots? The uh, little guys on really. Cloud City that were throwing around C-3PO's head? Oh, those guys. Oh. Yeah. Pig faces. They're, I didn't know they're called Ugnots. You should know that, Ken. I should? Mm-hmm. I like, I like Star Wars. Always have. Love it. But I die. Did they ever call them Ugnots in the movie? Mm, not the movie. Maybe yeah, the novelization. So. Oh, oh, wow. I like never read Donald that. Glunt. Oh, wow. Donald Glunt. Oh, the ho- well, good for him. Uh, no, I, I don't know that. Sorry. All right. I'll forgive you. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you as far as I thought the, the Dr. Light guy, I mean, he was always so washed out and I could never tell if it was just because there wasn't a lot of detail there or it was supposed to be because he was a hologram or whatever but oh uh, yeah but even when we see him in person later he oh he still looks the same he looks really washed out with no detail really right and maybe that was artistic choice maybe they just spent less time on him right don't know all right, my last comment on the first half is uh, George, his his friend George, um, Colin's friend George. Uh, did he look like uh, Gary Seven to you when when you first started thumbing through the book? Um, no, I thought he looked older and and heavier than that. Like like an older, heavier Gary Seven. Gary Seven, yeah. Oh, how interesting. Um, I would have to look at him again. I did I did not get that vibe, but maybe. Yeah, when we first, you know, when I first pulled the book out and started kind of thumbing through the pages, I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! It's going to be Gary Seven as an older, older man." Right. And uh, I was wrong, really, really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so you didn't get that vibe. Um. Okay. Now I've I've gotten to a picture of him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Gary Seven. Eh. Yeah, look at page uh, on the PDF, page 22, on the the right-hand side top panel, um, where, he, where he's talking about uh, he hired Data to be the bodyguard and Troy, right. an incredibly young-looking uh, crusher, to be the nurse. Well, at the moment, I'm looking at, pa- at page 18 and page 19, but I'll get to 22. And in one in particular, he's got this big, bulbous red nose. Hmm. Which is not like him in any other page, but whatever. Right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right. All right, what else you got, sir? Um, I thought that two-page uh, layout of where they've got, you know, uh, Kirk... With a sh- torn shirt and everything, the Starfleet guys on the left and the Jem'Hadar on the right, and they're they're on a planet and they're fighting it out. It's like I thought that was a really cool drawing. Kirk, there's no Kirk. Yeah, the guy with his shirt all practically ripped off, and a phaser rifle. That's not Kirk. 
I know, well, I know but look, he's got Some he's got the torn shirt and he's got the phaser rifle. I mean, that's Kirk. <laughs> it just reminded me of Kirk. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really cool how they were like using a zeppelin to go on vacation, Colin and his, and his family, because it kind of reminded me of the TV series Fringe, where okay. when they when they had gone to an alternate version of Earth. Um, that was parallel to Earth that that we know, Alpha Earth. Um, it was a little bit further ahead in technology than our Earth, and they used zeppelins a lot to get around. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea, and they used that here. Uh, and who knows? Maybe that's where Fringe got it. Who knows? But I thought it was kind of cool. Right. In in Doctor Who, they did that too, in the parallel Earth. Oh, Same time, interesting. Early two thousands, huh. uh, there was a bunch of zeppelins and stuff flying over London, which, huh. which is how they knew they weren't quite in the right place. Oh my God, they took it from from Doctor Who, maybe then. Huh? Who knows? Zeppelins are cool. Which came? So, which Doctor did that? Uh, it was first season, tenth Doctor, so the second season of the the reboot or revival. Okay. Second season. Okay. So it'd be like 2006, 2007, somewhere in that realm. Yeah, that definitely was before Fringe. Okay. There you go. All right. So that was kind of cool. No, let's move on to the next one. All right. So uh, we cut this in half just for to make it easier for us, so there's no real stopping point. So so the story continues with Colin, and then this is a flashback of, of Colin's story. So Colin, his wife, and his daughter are about to board the uh, the newest passenger Zeppelin when there is suddenly a freak cyclone, and they are knocked off the railing. Unable to hold on, they fall. Colin is severely injured, which is why he limps in the future, and his family is unfortunately killed. As Colin is finishing his story to Data and Dr. Crusher, we flash to a dark room where Counselor Troy is watching the proceedings through a monitor. Riker interrupts her, and she tells the commander that perhaps Beverly is too close to this issue since she can relate to losing both a spouse and a son herself. She states that Crusher is a professional and trusts that she will be careful. Meanwhile, in the holodeck, Colin is informed by George that the transporter site at Mount Thunder has been destroyed. This setback could kill the transporter race. Later, a depressed Colin plays darts with Data. After pouring a drink, Colin tells the duo that he will leave and be back soon. Data instructs the holodeck to allow them to follow him, but to mask their presence. Eventually, Colin arrives to the transporter lab, and he transports a watch from the transporter pad to a nearby desk, proving that you do not need a receiving transporter. He then decides to beam his cane. This is the cane that he uh, came with originally. As soon as the cane dematerializes, Data requests the holodeck to have an emergency stop, and Crusher rushes in to knock Colin out with a hypospray. Data's intervention is too late as the Enterprise is rocked by an explosion. The cane that the scientist beamed using holographic transporter actually materialized in a console in engineering. And this is explained that the cane was a physical item that came with Colin from the past, and he was using a holographic transporter to transport real 
matter. Hence the explosion, and we will not do that again. Back on the bridge, Picard is informed of the experiment just as the Enterprise is slipping through the Palmali minefield. As they are clearing the minefield, they detect a huge force of Palmali ships on intercept course from behind the sun. The bridge crew grow uneasy on how the Pamali will react after being quarantined off from the rest of the galaxy over the last hundred years. They do receive a recorded message from an Andorian admiral in Starfleet who suggests that they should stand down and return to the other side of the minefield. Meanwhile, on the holodeck, Data and Crusher restart the program. Data gives Crusher assurances that Colin will be okay if reawoken now, and they will resume the linking between the holodeck to his memories. With that, Data leaves to return to the bridge, and Crusher is left with Colin as he reawakens. They find themselves in Colin's lab, where they are watching the news footage of the destruction at Mount Thunder. Colin proves to George that they do not need a receiving transporter by beaming the chimpanzee outside of the building and then beaming him back in. Suddenly, Dr. Light appears from the darkness, and he tells Colin about the violations they are performing here and that they cannot transport a human soul. Light is quickly thrown out by another employee. George and Colin look over the documents that Light left behind, and they seem legit. With these allegations, the company will be shut down for sure. Even more depressed than ever, Colin returns home with Beverly in tow. Once they get settled in the house, he sneaks the hypospray she was carrying away from her and injects her with it, knocking her out cold. During the tense standoff between the Enterprise and the Pamali fleet, Data requests permission to return to the holodeck. Picard agrees, and when the android arrives, he finds Crusher unconscious under a sofa. He revives her, and they quickly make their way to Colin, who is preparing to beam himself. Knowing what happened with the cane, they fear what would happen with a real human being beamed by a holographic transporter. They arrive in time to see that Colin was attacked at the moment of his beaming in the past, and that another person was beamed into the ether along with him. Having completed his reliving of his past, Colin is able to process what is happening to him in this time, and he only shows concern for the other person who might be out in space still unmaterialized. Data rushes out of the holotech and steals a shuttlecraft. He races the craft through the Pomali fleet, broadcasting that he's on a mission to save a pattern buffer from heading into the sun and being lost forever. The fleet does not attack. Data is able to retrieve the pattern, but he is too close to the sun to break free. The Enterprise also passes through the fleet with the same broadcast, that they are going to save the shuttle that is about to burn up into the sun. Again, the Pomali fleet allow the craft through and the Enterprise is able to beam both Data and the unknown attacker to the Enterprise. The attacker turns out to be Colin's former partner, George. George was concerned about the whole soul thing and that, and was sabotaging his friend. He asks for forgiveness, which Colin freely gives, saying that it was a long time ago. He also points out that they must have been able to transport the souls since he is fine and still himself. The Pomali fleet soon arrive, and they start to tow large containers towards the Enterprise. 
Inside, it turns out to be dilithium crystals and computer components. They heard about the ongoing Dominion War, and they have been storing up resources in order to help the Federation. Picard gratefully accepts, not telling them that is a hundred years out of date. Moved by their act to forgive the Federation for the quarantine, the Enterprise leaves to report that perhaps it is time for the Pomali to have a second chance. The end. Good for the Palami. A second chance. Yeah. So you 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 felt satisfied with them never once speaking to the Pomali on a view screen or anything. <laughs> well, didn't they show like some distant shots of the Palami? Sure. I think they did. They showed the fleet and they even showed inside of a cockpit at one point to show like a tentacle thing, you know, yeah. getting ready to touch the firing apparatus to fire on both the shuttle and Enterprise, but Right. Picard never talks to him on screen. I mean, we assume yeah. they're having conversations, but I think this whole tense standoff between the ships and the Enterprise <clears throat> could have been, you know, deflated with, you know, open up a communication and let's see what let's they talk want. about things. Let's right. talk about things. That's the part I didn't like, and I thought that yeah. it kind of made that story, uh, I don't know, unsatisfying. You know, because mm. because there was no communication that we saw, right? And it seemed kind of a well, we didn't see it, but obviously they did communicate, and right. they did give them all that material stuff, right? But it almost—I mean, if you're just reading it, it almost seems like they just start bringing the material without ever once speaking to the Federation, and that they're just coming up with these conclusions on their own. Okay. Well, I think they spoke. I think so too. They just, did, but they just they don't didn't say show they it. did. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It just seemed artificial. This whole standoff when you hadn't even opened up communication. Yes, office. I agree. It, it seems standoffish. I mean, it seemed like a standoff. I mean, it seemed artificial about the standoff. Right. Yes, I agree with that. I, I, I w- would have liked some sort of explanation. Maybe they don't communicate like like we do, or something like that. You know, we've had those moments in Next Generation episodes where they had to use Deanna to feel what they're trying to say, you know, that kind of thing. Um, some sort of explanation as to why they're just standing there and not talking to each other. Right. Well, considering they they look like big big guys with blue rope blue bathrobes on and round beach ball gray heads. I I don't know that I see I need to see more of them. Oh, you're a speciesist. <laughs> well, they didn't do much to draw them, did they? I mean, just show them in the background or something. They just look kind of, I don't know, kind of right. weird. Agreed. Hmm. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think they could have done more with with that race. Right. You know, one of the first things I thought about them is like, oh, they, they're. They're, they're biological geniuses or biological engineers or whatever kind of things. And then one of the first things I thought was their contribution was to uh, engineer the disease that they were able to introduce into the founders that made them all goopy, go to go goopy. Oh, yeah, that would um, have been good. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, I mean, they were able to whip up something that was killing millions of people. You know, maybe they could whip that up too. But, um, yeah, it's at what, uh, section 52, is it? 52? 51? 
Or 51? No, 31. 31. Okay, so Section 31 uh, got that from somewhere that they used. Um, I just... I just, that just a, a thought that came to mind, but right. they said nothing like that in this book. So, nope. But I thought that might have made sense. Yeah, no, that would have been good. Yeah, I do like the few references they make to the Dominion War and that trying to explain why the Enterprise is not in the thick of it. That that you know, while Federation is focusing so much on the war, that the right. Enterprise is being tasked to continue. You know the the you know just the day to day. Activities that the Federation normally does when they're not at war. I did. Well, I like that. Yeah, not only the day to day, but also to you know to do some of these things that um, that might also contribute to the war effort too. Right. I mean that too. I mean definitely this this whole Palami thing didn't have any kind of whiffs that it was going to help the war effort at all. So right to your point. But then they're also doing other things, going around seeing what they can do right. uh, to help the war effort from behind the lines. But yeah, and yeah. You know, it, it does seem like an odd. The Baku. They're going to do that too. The Sorry. Baku, the Baku. Go ahead. Sorry, no, I cut you off. No, no, no. It's great. It's not great. It's rude. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, don't sweat it. <laughs> um. Oh, I just want to point out that, and I, I don't think your synopsis covered this because there's so much detail in this book, you can't cover everything. But uh, there was a point that Colin was making about bubbles in the beer uh, being the absence of something. And I beg to differ. Bubbles in beer uh, is not beer, but it's it's carbonated gas, you know. Right. So there is gas in those bubbles, Colin. It's just not beer. It's not, not liquid form, but it's 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 something. It's it's air. And that's but, part of the beer, right? It wouldn't uh, be beer if it didn't it's have coming bubbles. Out, right. It's the carbonation coming out of the uh, beer, right? Right. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. So I, I just want to mention the flaw in his logic or what he was saying, but whatever. Uh, so I thought it was cool that the Palami had given them crates of dilithium crystals, which they couldn't even use. <laughs> I, I thought it was cool that the 24th century had, you know, by that point they had gotten beyond using such problematic uh, uh, components of starships. Right. And then I just imagine the computer components to be those, you know, plastic squares that Kirk used. Ah. Technicolor <laughs> blocks of wood or whatever. Exactly they were. right. Some of them having lights inside of them, some right. not. Uh, uh, here you yeah. go, a bunch of a bunch of blocks of wood. Enjoy. I hope this helps in the war effort, boys. <laughs> exactly. Have fun storming the castle. All right. Yeah, I thought that there you know, because we didn't get any dialogue between the Palami and, and the Federation, and, and we're just going off of their wrap up at the end, right? When they're talking amongst themselves, but they say that the Palami have been gathering this up for fifty years in order to help the Federation and the Dominion War, mm -hmm. which that doesn't make sense because they haven't been at war for fifty years. So, right. I mean, I can get that maybe they were storing up for fifty years. Um, 
in the hopes of giving it to the Federation just to show good grace, or mm -hmm. were they storing it up for themselves and then when they heard that the Federation might need it, they they're giving it I don't know free good point, though. to the Federation. I don't know. Good point. Yeah, but if you just read it, it makes it sound like they've spent the last fifty years in order to help the Federation in their the war, war effort. effort. Yeah, which, which they hadn't sense. been at war. Yeah, and they've been at war for a year or so. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So, um, I really enjoyed the shuttlecraft data flew in. I thought that looked very cool. Yeah, the spaceship, the the space scenes were really cool with the, that little craft. Right. And what's cool is, you know, Voyager had the Delta Flyer. Very cool shuttlecraft. Very cool. Looks great. And, but it always seemed like on Next Gen, they always had these little, little teeny tiny little pod things that were like so unimpressive. It's like, get something cool, man. Get a Delta Flyer or something. And sure enough, in this comic, they got it. A cool looking shuttlecraft. Right. Well, they had the, they had some they had used those in Insurrection, didn't they? I don't remember ever seeing that. They had the captain's yacht. Well, the captain's yacht, but it didn't look had, like that. Yeah, no, it didn't. And then they had the shuttle, I think, as well. Because this well, is the I one that w I don't remember had. seeing a shuttle like that before. No. That's a cool looking shuttle. It is, and I thought that's I thought that's where it came from. I thought that was the one Worf and Picard were in when they were uh, chasing data in the captain's yacht. Maybe I'm misremembering. It's been a while. I don't know. I, I Yeah, it's not like that's the one you want to go back and watch over and over again. Right. Because it's maybe my <laughs> least favorite. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel as ill of it as you do, but it is one of the ones that really doesn't need a lot of rewatching. Anyway, all I got to say is, Especially when they sh they actually towards the end of the book they've got uh, special pages where they've got a lot of things drawn out, mm -hmm. and one of the things is a nice drawing side view of the Enterprise shuttlecraft, and it's cool looking, it very is. cool looking. And I, I liked it. I liked it with the uh, in contrast to the the aliens ships, mm -hmm. which all look like you know like these catfish almost with these like big spines coming off of them and things like that. I, I really liked the little little shuttle flying through all that. It right. Fantastic art right there. Yeah. And actually, if you, when I look closely at those ships, uh, the, the Palami ships, they completely remind me of um, helicopter. You know, parts of them look like a helicopter, like the front and then the front top. Completely looks like a helicopter to me, so I went ahead and looked about it, looked at it a bit. It looks a lot like a uh, Bell Jet Ranger or maybe a Eurocopter HH-65 Dolphin. So, it to me, it looks like they got a little bit of inspiration from a helicopter in their right. design, design yeah, of the Palami ships. Yeah, even like the pylon-looking things look like the like the gun turrets on those helicopters. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, just but it has cool spines coming off of it. The spines are weird. The spines are weird. I don't know what the function of that is. You you, know, you need an an, a few antennas? Okay, you have a few. But <laughs> these things have like a dozen spines coming out of them. Purpose? Don't know. Well, we see later that they, that's how they we do transport the little cargo pods. Because the we, cargo pods seem to be at the end of some of the spines. 
Really? Yeah, they're towards the end when they're sending over the crate. Well, yeah, I'm looking at that, and I, I, I don't know why they're floating them over. Quite frankly, don't they have transporters? No. Oh yeah, you're right. No, it doesn't look like they're attached. Sorry, that's just one in the background. Right. Yep. Good. Yeah, they're just floating there. Uh, and but don't they have transporters? I mean, I don't know. I just it just it just seems a little odd. Well, you can't transport if you haven't even opened up communication. Why it, no? But again, it's just artificial tension. <gasps> what are these crates? Oh, they're just they're gifts. They're they're wedding gifts. Look. They're full with vases and things and crop Oh, pots. hey, I, I know what the spines are for. What? They're probably mandated by the Federation so that these ships can't go through the minefield. Oh. The Federation says you can't have streamlined ships. You got to have massive fin. Uh, yeah, right. Fins coming off of them. Yeah, right. That's, uh, that's maybe, it. maybe the first thing they should have said is, "Hey, we don't want you to build a massive war fleet." <laughs> it's like they're behind they're behind a you know a a minefield or something keeping them inside their their solar systems they're probably doing whatever they darn well please right right anyway so so the two so the the title of this thing is forgiveness right right and so we got in the end two big chunks of forgiveness which i guess is really what it's all about at the end so right forgiving so, the Forgiving the Palami and forgiving George. Well, I think it's more the Palami forgiving the Federation for imprisoning him for 100 years. Because the Federation technically hasn't forgiven him yet. Picard just says, oh. we'll go put in a good word for you. Yeah. Thanks for the crap. Well, maybe it's, there's three ways then. <laughs> maybe there's three. But definitely, there's no two ways about it. Collins got a big... Uh, Big old chunk of forgiveness for George, but right. And by the way, exactly who was George in bed with? Did he just decide to do this out of the blue, or was George actually a confederate of Colonel Sanders the whole time? And maybe that's the guy who was placing the projectors in the in. Yeah, and letting him actually know. come into the building. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So he was playing. George was playing the game with somebody. Right. Um, it, it could have also been the what the GTC the the transportation right yeah, the woman that wanted to buy them out could have been them too they certainly had the money to <laughs> buy George's favor um, anyway yeah I just liked I, I liked that story I liked uh, that George you know maybe they were best friends but he had such a strong belief that what what he what Colin was going to do was wrong yeah but uh, but. It's kind of unclear as to did, did did Colin or Colonel Sanders or GTC did mm -hmm. they have anything to do with the cyclone that killed his family? Was that also well, part of uh, him, them trying to keep him from doing it? Well, that's what Colin was insinuating, and it was GTC. He was insinuating it was GTC, but who knows? Right. No so proof. I was wondering if if that was also something that that. George was asking for forgiveness for. Oh. Or giving forgiveness for. Yeah, right. Yeah, George was asking... Oh, no, I'm sorry, George. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Right. And was George really trying to kill Colin, or was he just trying to stop him from doing it? When they both stop got caught up in... Stop him from doing it. 
And was it because he thought Colin was going to die? He was trying to save his friend? Or was he trying to stop the... uh... Or did did he actually just believe Colonel Sanders? I, I, the way I read died. it, the way I read it, I thought he just didn't think that. I, I think that he bought into that you're going to kill yourself and just create a copy of yourself somewhere else. Right. Yep. A soulless copy. A soulless copy. That, that's the way I read it, but it's not. It's, I mean, all he says is, "Colin, I'm sorry." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, well, you, well, I'm reading a lot into those three words. Sure. But sometimes the best stories don't explain everything. They let you make up certain part bits of the uh, narrative. Right. So you can make you can take it any way you want to, Donnie. Thanks. There you go. So all in all, really like the book. Um I just wish the Pamali thing was flushed out a little bit more um and didn't quite feel so artificial cuz there was a great story there just the tension just didn't do it for me cuz yeah. I think that they could have fixed it all with one phone call. <laughs> just talk just talk hey Pamali are, are you coming here to attack me no well thank you <laughs> oh you're bringing gifts well <laughs> come on right come on over oh dilithium crystals oh okay thanks I thought it was something nice something that would have went with the house but anyway yeah so it's good all good anything all else nice. I got nothing else to say. One thing that we didn't ever mention was the uh, suit that Data's wearing, this like business suit from the future, which kind of right. looks like a, almost like a priest collar, but kind of reversed. So yeah, instead of yeah. a, a black collar, it's a it's a white collar. It's a black collar on a white shirt. Yeah, it's yeah, kind it, of an interesting look. I liked it. it. It could be a priest thing, a priest look. Or it could be like a like a, a bad A kind of look, like something that uh, uh, like gangsters uh, would wear. No, not gangsters at all. Kind of <laughs> like um, Stephen, who's that obnoxious guy that used to do uh, kung fu and everything? And I think still Steven even Seagal. That's it, Steven Seagal. He looks like something Steven Seagal would wear, you know, uh, when he was younger and not old and fat. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Right. Yeah. I thought it was good. I thought it looked futuristic enough, but also contemporary enough to kind of fit into this, you know, fifty years in the future type time frame. Right. Yeah, I thought it looked cool. I, I thought data looked good in that. Yeah. Okay, so I got a question for you though. Okay. So, Doctor Crusher says that thing to uh, Colin. Um, and what 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 exactly did her exact wording of that something to the effect of, oh, if you if the transportation process would have killed people and 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 killed their souls, um, do you think we would ever have done it? Like, oh, Colin, no, you're being silly. So. Is she saying that, yes, we acknowledge that there is a soul, and we can measure it, and it's in the copy? Uh, or is she saying, oh, you don't actually destroy anything? You know, your theory, which I do not agree with. Um, 
uh, or what? I mean, what's she saying? I mean, the transportation process is that good that it's not only able to reconstruct you atom by atom, but it also grabs your soul. Or it could have taken the the atheist view, which is you don't have a soul and that you're just matter and. Well, I know, but then if if that's the case, she's kind of screwing with him, isn't he? Isn't she? Uh, you could take it that way, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It. I don't know what what her stance was on that. Yeah, but it. <clears throat> one thing you could do is you could take it as um, kind of just saying, "Oh, you know." You know, try try not to be so quite so um, anti-religion or not anti-religion, but quite so secular. Saying that, oh, well, sure, there's there's souls, and and the transporter doesn't hurt them. So I don't know. It it just seemed like an an interesting thing that the author stuck in at the end. Right. Right. Anyway. No, that's good. That I, that I don't quite know how to take. But maybe that's another one. You just have to... Make up your own... Make it up yourself. Right. Interpret it your own way. Right. So speaking of interpreting it your own way, um, what was that scene with Riker and Troy? I mean, was that just added in there to give Riker something to talk about? When, when Troy's all worried about Crusher and... She's lost Jack, and now she's lost oh. Wesley, and here's a guy who lost his wife and kid, too. Right. Yeah, that was like three or four pages, and <clears throat> it didn't really add anything to the story, I didn't think. No. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, it was, it, was it trying to manufacture some tension or something? Was yeah, it, don't... as you say, just a chance to give Troy and Riker a chance to get some screen time? That's the way it felt. Yeah. Or did they just feel they needed filler? Which I don't think they needed filler because it was pretty big a story as it was. Right. But it was, it felt like filler. But yeah, it did. I wish it would have gone somewhere where maybe Troy, maybe you know, we got something from Crusher's point of view where she was at a crossroad where she could take the sympathetic route because she sympathized with what he's going through versus you know the the doctor in her that knew that it wasn't right you know but that never came up there was never a scene like that right yep yeah. anyway so that that confused me and also data being the uh the go-to person so crusher seemed like she was asking data a lot of medical questions <laughs> that i didn't quite understand why she would be asking that yeah are you sure it's okay if we wake him up now yeah <laughs> shouldn't you be the one who knows when it's okay to wake him up <laughs> i agree <laughs> You're the doctor. Right. But some technical things came up, so it was good Data was there for that, of course, you know, transporting right. the cane and stuff. But Right, right. But anyways, really enjoyed the book. I liked it a lot. Good. Me too. Me too. Anything else? No, nothing else. All right, well then, uh, next, this was our last uh, wild storm. Damn. They had a, a, a quick run, but it was a good one, I thought. Mm-hmm. I think it was quite good. I see I see precursors here at IDW, personally. but Yep. Yeah, especially with touching on all the different genres and even pulling in some new stories, like with the, 
New Frontier and stuff, something mm-hmm. that, that was never actually a TV show, so something definitely right. IDW continues with today. Yep. So uh, so now that we finished Wildstorm, uh, we're going to go back a little bit and do back, the back. first volume of Star Trek that DC Comics did. Yeah, this is gonna be interesting. So these are these are this these are the first Star Trek comic books I ever read when I was a kid. I, I got into it um, kind of around um, between probably around Star Trek four ish. Mm-hmm. I started reading them and then went back and bought the number one and thought, oh, this is this is precious. This is the first Star Trek comic book ever. <laughs> and then I found out that there was a Marvel one before that, and then there was a Gold Key one even before that. So right. A little deflating when you're a kid just getting into comic books. Right. Uh, but still, it's it's a good run, and I'm looking forward to being able to, to go through it. Oh, very good. And if things go as planned, we're going to kind of leapfrog between doing, you know, uh, two or three issues, two or three episodes of DC Comics, and then doing some of the IDW backlog that we have, and then kind of flip-flopping between those, and then throwing in some gold key. Some here gold key once in a while, yeah. So that's the plan. That's a good one. Looking forward All to right. it. All right. All right. Well, then we'll uh, let everybody go and be back next next week. Great. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.